Adam, book reading music, please. Once upon a time, there was a village. Close to the village, there lived a lady, a small landowner, who had an estate of about 300 pounds of sauerkraut. She had always lived on good terms with the peasants, until she engaged as her steward an old soldier, who took to burdening the people with fines. However careful Pahom tried to be, it happened again and again, that now a horse of his got among the lady's oats, now a cow strayed into her garden, now his calves found their way into her meadows, and he always had to pay a fine. So the peasants went on behalf of their commune, and asked the lady not to sell the sauerkraut to the innkeeper, offering her a better price for it themselves. The lady agreed to let them have it. Then the peasants tried to arrange for the commune to buy the whole hoard of sauerkraut, so that it might be held by all in common. They met twice to discuss it, but could not settle the matter. The evil ones sowed discord among them, and they could not agree. So they decided to buy sauerkraut individually, each according to his means. And the lady agreed to this plan, as she had to the other. You know, really, it occurs to me that um, that particular uh, Tolstoy tale uh, is very much like the popular board game Settlers of Catan, uh, which uh, basically is just like the uh, story mainly consisting of, and then he bought some sheep and sold them for ore, and then bought some more land.
steampunk electronic band Alex the Kid's new album titled something uh, that I cannot remember at the moment but there is a song on it called zombies and another song called Google which is just kind of awesome um so the reason I stopped it is because zombies made me think the other day when I traveled back to Wyoming in Thursday, June 21st, 2012. Turns out, not many people have moved to Wyoming since I was stranded there. However, there is a large forest fire going on um, at that time in history. And I think I'm, it, it may be the apocalypse. Because the front page article of the Laramie Daily Boomerang, June 21st, 2012, is Meteorite Report Grounds Plains. Now, I'm just going to read this because I don't know how else to explain exactly how awesome this is. <clears throat> Bellevue, Colorado. Authorities grounded firefighting aircraft battling an out-of-control blaze scorching central Colorado on Wednesday, reacting with caution to witness reports of meteor sightings. The temporary move came amid several reported sky sightings near the 1,100-acre Springer Fire west of Colorado Springs. Chafee County Sheriff W. Peter Palmer said his, one, <clears throat> sorry, said his office received multiple reports of sightings, including one person who thought a meteorite might have landed in a wooded area north of Buena Vista. Palmer said that officials could not confirm that report. Meanwhile, the crew of, of a heavy air tanker spotted something while making a slurry run on the blaze, said Steve Segan, a spokesman for the U.S. Forest Service. They weren't sure what it was, Segan said, confirming the report of a possible meteor shower. They landed as they normally do to reload, and for safety reasons, they grounded themselves until they could figure out what it was they saw, he said. The Colorado sightings corresponded with reports of possible meteor uh, filed by the crews of two commercial aircraft over Liberal um, uh, Kansas, and said meteorolo meteorologist Scott and Trekken of the National Weather Service in Boulder. Um, blah de blah de blah de blah. 
uh, the American Meteor Society states that sky sightings often appear much closer than they actually are, and the phenomena is an illusion of perspective. Society also reports the overwhelming majority of meteors burning up in the atmosphere before posing any threat. Now, first of all, let me just clarify. They, there is a massive forest fire going on June 21st, 2012, um, outside of Fort Collins, Colorado, and spreading into Wyoming. Um, it is 0% contained and is something like 44,000 acres, um, and it's kind of scary. Now, they're trying to dump water on it with helicopters, and they can't because they're afraid the helicopters might get hit with meteors or some sort of other flying objects, which possibly could be aliens. It just sounds brilliant to me personally. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but uh, I'm going to the Renaissance Festival next weekend. That should be fun. More music, shall we?
a long time ago, and I've, I've been broadcasting. I do yes. mariachi music. It was like a month ago, and this is my place. You came here and drove me insane, and so I finally decided I was going to find my way out and find Guatemala City. And instead, I, I don't understand. I, I kept turning left. I thought for sure that would get me there. And now I'm back. Oh. Yes, well, you, you clearly are not... You, you're not saying so, but I will go along with this. Oh. This is, this is, this is crushing. This is awful. This is... Have you been playing my mariachi records? Mariachi records, I... Oh, yes, those, I, uh... I used those to stop up the flooding. Oh. Oh, no. When can I get you to go? To leave? Go back to Wyoming. Go back to Sergeant Protractor. Go, just go somewhere. Well, you see, I... Wait, Sergeant... Sergeant Protractor, I, I'm sorry. Who? That's your friend in Wyoming. You kept speaking of him earlier. I'm not sure who you're referring to. I believe here, my dear. Well... Since I am an eternal optimist, I am going to find some positives of this situation. For example, in my travels around the mountain, which must have lasted anywhere from 10 to 11 days, I learned some Spanish. Ah, what, 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 what exactly is Spanish? Oh, things like, Donde esta el baño? Ah, yes, I, I remember watching that. That was so fun. Yeah, yeah. It was a good movie. Yeah. Uh, Feliz cumpleaños. So there, yes. we are now officially having a bilingual conversation. And I feel like maybe that will add some depth to this, quote, relationship, friendship, end quote that we have here. I, I suppose that it, there there is some there is some sense behind that. However, I think I think it would make more sense if it was monolingual. Ah. Okay. Because then we would be able to understand each other. Because we don't either of us Well actually I, I am bilingual I No, no I'm not. Never mind. Well the next step is to figure out a way. Maybe we should go walk along that cliff. And you can walk along the outside. And I will try not to trip over a rock and bump into you. Oh, that sounds like Does that sound good? Yes. Okay. edge of the cliff, this beautiful view. You can see some volcanoes off in the distance. Yes, and, and trees. And trees. Oh, there's lots of trees there as well. Why don't you go get a little bit closer? You can probably see better. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, look, more trees. Oh, yes, I see the Whoops! trees. I am tripping over this rock! What are you doing? He is gone. I've knocked him off of the cliff. Finally, I can go back to being an, an angry, isolated man. Who is trapped in Guatemala? That is who I am. Hello, sir. Who are you? 
Okay. Okay. Alright, well, my pen pal, who happens to be a uh, Viking, who, who lives in uh, the Ivory Coast of Africa, and so I feel like uh, my, my good friend Sven is, um, is having a hard time, because it's hard to be a Viking in Africa, and I wanted to be able to support uh, him in his struggle to bring Viking culture to Western Africa. So, uh, just like it's a struggle to bring folk music and mariachi to people all over the world, uh, imagine how hard it is to, um, you know, pillage villages in the name of Norse gods in West Africa. Yes, and where would we so, be without Norse gods? That's true. That's very true. In fact, some of my, my second favorite genre of music is music that is written to the praise of Norse gods. Ah, yes, I guess. I, I had a friend that was a Norse god once. Oh, wow. Yes, he was, he was very big. He had a hammer. Yeah. Oh. Was his name Thor? No, but he had a he had a helmet with spikes on it. Ah. A beard. Okay. Did he have a name? No, it, we just called him that guy with the eye patch. Oh. Wait, I, I'm not sure why he didn't have an eye patch. Oh. I knew a guy just like that who was a Norse guy, but his name was Roth. Ah. So, anyway. Alright, well, why don't we step back and um, see if we can... can Maybe I'll find my, my favorite record. Ah, oh, what a fine fellow, exclaimed the chief. He has gained much sauerkraut. A home servant came running up and tried to raise him, but he saw that blood was flowing from his mouth. A home was dead. The maskers clicked their tongues to show their pity. The servant picked up the spade and dug a grave long enough for Pahom to lay in and buried him in it. Six feet from his head to his heels was all he needed. Now he's having just one piece of cake. He is the makeup guy. 
cat that try to shake up all the things that form their lives, but they're dead. The signs and the song. Sylvanian Concubine by Rasputino, used on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is awesome because it is made by Joss Whedon. And now, let's finish up with a bit of old-time radio show. Uh, this is Operation Morrow. The Mysterious Traveler, written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan, and starring tonight two of radio's foremost actors, Leon Janney and Charlotte Holland, in Operation Tomorrow. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip. It will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can, as we journey with a young scientist into the unknown future. It's a story I call Operation Tomorrow. 
My story begins in a scientific laboratory cut out of the solid rock many feet beneath New York City University. Amidst a maze of electronic apparatus, Professor Wilbur Malcolm, a middle-aged pipe-smoking man, is making methodical tests, aided by his new assistant, Fred Andrews. The main output coils seem to be working the way they should. You ready at the meters, Fred? Yes, Professor. But I wish I knew what we were doing. You will in a few seconds, my boy. Now, wind up that alarm clock and put it here on this lead table in the center of the magnetic field. This old alarm clock? Yes. There. All right, it's in the magnetic field. Now what? Now I'm going to turn on the current. You give me the readings as we go along. Right, sir. Here we go. Readings, please. 1,000 volts positive main output tube. 1,500. 2,000. 3. 4. 5. 6. 7. 8,000. 9. 10,000. All right. We've reached critical voltage. Now watch the clock closely, Fred. The clock? Yes, sir. It's getting a little hazy. Hard to see. Now it's transparent, as if it were made of glass. What is this, Professor? Patience, my boy. Watch and observe. That's the scientist's motto. Well, the tick is getting fainter. Fading out. The clock is disappearing. Professor, the clock has vanished. So it has. Gone completely. But, but where... Don't tell me you've discovered the secret of invisibility. Oh, something bigger than that, Fred. But watch now. I'm going to cut off the alpha tubes. Now I'll cut in the beta tubes. That will give us a negative charge and reverse the magnetic field. You ready, Fred? Yes, sir. Here we go. Readings, please. 2,000 volts negative. 3,000 negative. 4,000. 5. 6. 7. Eight, nine, ten thousand volts negative. Good. I'm holding the field at ten thousand. Now watch where the clock was. I'm watching, sir. Good Lord, I, I see a, a ghost of a clock there. Just a misty outline. Now it's becoming clearer and clearer. It's transparent. Now it's almost solid. Why, I can hear it ticking again. And there it's back. Oh. Yes, Fred. The clock is back. And as you can hear, still in good working order. But where was it? Where did it go? Where did it go? It went into the future. Into the future? Yes, my boy. That clock has just penetrated approximately one year into the future. You've witnessed the first demonstration of something that up to now has always been considered a fantastic dream. Time travel. Good Lord. Ah, that's enough for today. You're coming home with me, Fred, when I tell you my plans. How did you stumble onto this time travel effect, sir? Well, it came about almost by sheer accident. My main purpose, which is a top-secret operation, is to develop electronic controls for atomic spaceships. You mean they've been developed? Oh, no, not yet. But it shouldn't be long now. Science is making incredibly rapid advances. Sometimes it worries me. When you travel so fast, there's danger of a collision. 
Yes, I know. We're all of us worried that the world is headed for a gigantic disaster, but there doesn't seem to be anything we can do about it. Perhaps there is. That's what I've been working around to tell you, Fred. What, Professor Malcolm? Well, this time travel effect that I stumbled on accidentally, I've kept it a secret. You're the only person besides myself to know about it. I'm very flattered, sir. I know I can trust you. And I need your help. I'm not sure we're really ready for time travel. As we were just saying, we're going so fast now, so many new discoveries that we don't know how to handle for the world's good. I hesitate to add one more to the list. I think I understand. But on the other hand, maybe it can be used for mankind's benefit. I have a wild scheme, Fred. Very unscientific. And yet... What is it, Professor? Well, it's this. I propose to send you in a little jaunt into the future. Into the future? Yes. I want you to bring back information. I want to find out what's in store for us mortals of the 20th century, Fred. If it's bad, war perhaps, just knowing about it in advance may make it possible to prevent it. Do you follow me? It would be like knowing in advance about a train wreck and then seeing that it doesn't happen. I knew you'd understand. That's why I sent for you. As soon as we've completed our tests, I propose to send you through time 100 years into the future. For days and weeks, Fred Andrews and Professor Malcolm experimented until they were sure it would be possible to send a human being into the future and bring him back safely. At last, they were ready for the big test, for the actual transmission of Fred himself through time. Professor, I'm all ready. Why are you hesitating? Well, Fred, as we've been working, suspicion has been growing in my mind. What suspicion, sir? I don't think this is going to work. But, Professor, we've sent dozens of objects into the future and brought them back. Even live animals, cats, dogs. Yes, but we've never brought back an object from the future itself. I mean, one we didn't send there. No, that's true, well, I but... wonder if... Well, no matter, we'll see. Now, remember, gather all the information you can and get back to this spot six hours from now. I'll activate the return field then and bring you back to 1950. Yes, sir, I'll do my best. I guess that's all. Good luck, my boy. Thank you, sir. 5,000 volts positive... 6,000 volts. How do you feel? I feel fine, Professor. 8,000 volts. Fine. 10,000. Critical voltage. You're beginning to move forward into time. You're getting transparent now. Can you hear me? Yes, Professor Malcolm. I can hear you. But you sound very far away. I can't see you any longer. I seem to be in the middle of a fog or mist. Now I'm just surrounded by blackness. I can't hear or see anything. He's gone. Pray heaven he comes back safely. For a long moment, Fred Andrews felt as if he was spinning dizzily through empty darkness. Then the feeling passed, and he cautiously opened his eyes to find himself standing in an empty room, the laboratory which he had just left a hundred years ago. Unsteadily, he crossed the room and, with difficulty, opened the door. Then he gasped. Outside was a maze of corridors and stairways, brilliantly lighted 
as if a whole city had been carved out of the rock of Manhattan Island. As he stood there, someone came walking swiftly past him, an attractive girl in full military uniform. I, uh, I, I, I beg your pardon. Yes? But, uh, can, can you What are you doing me... here? Uh, this section is forbidden to civilians. Forbidden to civilians? I, I, I don't get it. How did you get past the guards? Where are your identification papers? Ident... No, 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 wait a minute. Since when does an American citizen have to carry identification papers? Ever since the war started, as huh? you know quite well. Put up your hands. A gun? No, no, no. Look, miss, you, you don't have to threaten me. I'm harmless. Stand still. I want to see if you're carrying a weapon. Well, satisfied? The only weapon I have is a fountain pen. What's your name? Frederick Andrews, Ph.D. Your draft card, please. Draft card? Look, what's all this about? War, draft card, identification papers. All these tunnels that have been dug down here. I, uh... I'm a stranger here. I don't know what you're up to, but no one can be that ignorant. You're coming along with me to see Colonel Phillips. Colonel Phillips? He's the security officer for this sector, and I certainly hope you have a good story to tell him. So your story, Mr. Andrews, is that you've come here from the year 1950. You must realize it's a very unconvincing tale. Completely unconvincing, in my opinion, Colonel. Well, it's the only story I have. I was born in 1923, and in 1950, Professor Wilbur Malcolm of City University sent me into the future. Now I'm here, and, uh, oh, I, I forgot to ask the date. It's April 10th, 2050. Exactly 100 years. Professor Malcolm's calculations were accurate to almost the minute. Colonel, in my opinion, this man is a very clever spy. Spy? Well, look at that stuff you took from my pockets. The, the, the notebook, fountain pen, my driver's license, dated 1950. Those coins and bills, the, the cigarettes. Surely they convince you I came from a hundred years ago. I think we can settle the question, Mr. Andrews. Our technical department can tell whether this currency is genuine and approximately how old it is. Lieutenant French. Yes, sir. Send all these things by pneumatic tube to the technical department. Ask them for an immediate report. I'll have a report for you in half an hour. When the report comes, Mr. Andrews, I'll know how to handle your case. If you are a spy, you know the penalty. Well, I'm not worried, Colonel. Now, may I ask a few questions? Are you at war? We are indeed at war. And these miles of tunnels I saw carved out of the solid rock. This city has retreated underground, Mr. Andrews. No one lives on the surface now. Good Lord. How long has the war been going on? We've been at war, Mr. Andrews... Off and on, of course, with periods in between in which both sides have rested up for 95 years. Well, a visitor at last. Hello, Lieutenant French. I'm sorry, Mr. Andrews, that we had to keep you locked up until you were cleared. Does that mean you believe my story now? Technical division says your story is true. I'm free now? Uh, well... Not exactly, Mr. Andrews. This is a military sector, and you're a civilian. But I am to be your guide for the time being. Good. Then, uh, suppose I call you Emily, and you call me Fred. Hmm? All right, Fred. There's a great deal I want to see and learn before I go back to 1950. Go back? Hmm. You mean you can return? Of course. Professor Malcolm will turn on his gadgets to bring me back at 4 o'clock. That's only three hours. I'll have to report this to Colonel Phillips. Um, after I've reported, uh, what would you like to do? I'm anxious to see what's going on. 
And I'd like to collect a number of books with the latest scientific and historical data to take back with me. Yes, all right. I'll phone the colonel. Then I'll show you around. And for next week, I have a little hint. He returns. Airship Wrecked with Captain Proctor is created by London Homer Wambim and produced by Patrick Bunny Productions. Visit them online at www.petrifyingproductions.com. Contact the captain at Captain J. Proctor at gmail.com and follow him on Google Plus and iTunes Bing. Theme music by Kevin McLeod. Sponsored by Fall Couture, creating the premier steampunk and alternative history fashions. Visit their website, www.fogcouture.com. Mm-hmm.